Rusty Quill presents. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com/upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. scary place if you've ever been out there like a famous traveler once said people are strange when you're a stranger faces look ugly when you're alone there's something to be said about the paranoia of the outsider to be the one peering in at the warmth from the chill window glass wondering if all that glow and comfort is worth the risk of knocking still too There's the worry that comes with any smile, any invitation, which may be a little more than bait on a lure. It's with this in mind that we rejoin Alex, our protagonist, in the wide and lonely American Great Plains, where the smiles are few and the invites fewer, but where friendly hearts may still beat out there amongst the corn. 
But first, this month's recommendations. Keeping in the vein of travel stories for the duration of Toda Americana, this month's literature recommendation is the graphic novel series Preacher by Garth Enos and Steve Dillon. Published between 1995 and 2000, the series covers the journey of a disgraced preacher, Jesse Custer, with a checkered and shadowy past across the width and breadth of America as he tries to find God. He's joined on his journeys by an old fling, a femme fatale named Tulip, and an expatriated Irish vampire named Cassidy. The saga takes them basically all across the continental U.S. and is pretty much one of the best limited-run comics I've ever read. It's often as grim and bleak as it is hopeful and funny, and it's one of the best meditations on the faded America of the late 1990s I've ever read. Definitely check it out. This month's random horror recommendation is Night in the Woods, a creepy 2017 adventure game from indie developer Infinite Fall. The game follows May, an anthropomorphic college-aged cat in the days immediately following her unexpected dropout from university. The story revolves around May and her old high school friends and their relationships with each other and the town they grew up in, a town that, like many in my own works, is a dying cold town tucked away high up in the mountains. As May tries to work through the issues that made her drop out of school, including her own unaddressed mental health problems and general lackadaisical attitude, she and her friends uncover an odd and horrifying plot leaking beneath the placid surface of their small town. Anything further is spoilers, but rest assured, what unfolds is basically Freaks and Geeks meets Twin Peaks in video game form. It's funny, creepy, fairly deep, and very adorable, and I cannot recommend it enough. I'll leave a link both to it and this month's literature recommendation in the show notes. Now, on to today's story. Toda Americana, Part 3. Hail, say hail, the passionate, whose unwavering resolve invigorates the will. May they be invigorated. Hail, say hail, the obsessed, whose endless fascination stains the will. May they be stained. Hail, say hail, the invigorated, whose pursuit uplifts them. May they be uplifted. Hail, say hail, the stained, whose fascination consumes them. May they be consumed. Hail, say hail, the consumed and uplifted, for they have surpassed us mortal things. May they become imago. Hail, say hail, the imago, who shed their humanity to live eternal. May they become gods. Hail, say hail, the gods. Will unknowable, mad and hungry, who live at the edge of all things and bend to their will. This universe, and all inside it, may they become one. Hail, say hail, the one come of five, for in this melding will all come to final ruin. May the ruin come and wash away the sin of life. Common Leads, the Book of the Five Traveling got easy that next morning. If it wasn't the stone or just dumb luck, well, 
Your guess is as good as mine. But I took the result, all the same. I gathered fresh clothes from a collection basket inside the front door of a church down the line, having hitched a ride on the first boxcar I found. The priest there caught me picking through boys' linen shirts and dragged me inside for a meal and a hot bath. He was a stern man, but his old blue eyes were kind, and he spoke to me like a person. Nobody had really treated me like that since I'd hitched out of Weston, and I'd forgotten how it felt to actually be seen by another person, to be valued as a person. He gave me a coffee and I found I liked it, despite the bitterness. He was a pastor of one of the many non-denominational types of Christianity that dotted the American plains, something blending Methodist austerity with the Baptist exuberance, a touch of Catholic occultism thrown in on top. Faith felt bled into the walls of that place, a comfortable sort of warmth that radiated into everything. Made your eyes feel slightly heavy, a little brighter. Which way are you going? He asked. His hand all but swallowed the coffee cup. Though he wasn't a big man, he seemed large. His neck especially was thick, well built, and his shoulders were so broad they kept the fabric of his frock stretched tight over his chest. I fiddled with my coffee cup. Colby, I said not feeling up to a lie. I hadn't said the name of the town since the first time I'd heard it, since my mama had said it, telling me what had happened. It felt familiar in my mouth, unimportant. I might have said the name of any other place on earth with as much detachment. He nodded. A bit still to go, he said. Why there? Family business. I see, he replied, finishing his own coffee. Fair warning, there's a town around there you should steer clear of. It's called Snapmare. I used to live there myself, a long time ago now, it seems. It's abandoned now, except for the type likes to live in abandoned places. He gave me a look. But you look like you can take care of yourself. Have taken care of yourself for a while now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, he repeated with a laugh. What after Colby? I blinked and set the cup down on the table. I honestly didn't know, though I was much more surprised by how he'd parsed that out of me when I hadn't thought much of it myself. Colby seemed like an end to things, a final sort of place. Thinking I might keep on moving after getting there felt strange. My eyes wandered the room as I pondered the question. He'd sat us in the white-walled rectory office, really just a single room at the back of the church that served as his kitchen and sitting room. I'd gotten a peek into his severe little bedroom, a twin bed and a dresser, the only adornments, before he'd shut it and put the percolator on the stove. There were all sorts of things on the walls, though the walls themselves were little more than white-painted wood panels. Knick-knacks of all sorts sat on high shelves fixed to those walls, books and pictures, and even a couple of church league bowling trophies. 
I wondered how far he might have to travel out here to find Elaine and other people to play with. Maybe there was one in town. One thing caught my eye, though, something wholly darker than anything else in the room. It was a framed black-and-white photograph of a crowd of people pointing at a man hanging from a tree. Even from a distance, I could see the confusion inherent in the spectacle, people pointing and one woman even fainting. But over the center of the crowd, suspended in space, the hanging man had his arms and legs splayed out to the side, as though he were swinging himself on the rope for fun. The priest's eyes followed my own to the picture. The Snapmare Hangman, he said in a soft voice. A legend in his time. He stood and walked over to the shelf, then gently set the photograph onto its face. A time long past, I'm afraid. He smiled at me and took the percolator off the stove. Would you like more coffee? I left a little while later, now sporting a backpack he insisted was an extra donated to the church and that I was, in fact, a person in need. He also spared two canteens of fresh water and a couple sandwiches wrapped in paper. I thanked him and left, walking east out of the small town and looking for a signpost so I could maybe come back and visit, if I ever finished the trip to Colby. But there wasn't a signpost for the town. Wasn't much of anything there, really, save for a few old houses that didn't look well lived in. Hollow, broken-eyed faces watched me walk down the lonely street that led out of town. I passed the low, crumbling wall of a schoolyard and a collapsed frame building where the letters City H.A. rested atop a heap of warped and rotten wood but I could hear things in that desolation that made me feel as though I weren't really alone. Nothing gruesome or haunting, but the echoes of human voices, of children laughing and playing in a space somewhere just beyond the cracked and fallen facades. They ebbed and swelled around me in the air like the mist creeping along above the ground, moved on currents I could no more see than understand. Maybe anybody else would feel put off by what I experienced walking out of that nameless town on the Kansas plains, but all I felt was that same warm sense of faith, cloying hints of hope and joy carried to the mind through the ears, the way incense might suffuse the lungs. Full and happy, I walked onward. Fear made itself a home in my heart as I drew closer to Colby. I thought of my father, the alley where he died, and I found I couldn't draw the shape of him in the space behind my eyes. He was a phantom of sorts, even when he still lived, a collection of brown and black suits, always with his back to me, always somehow moving away from me, always having somewhere else to be. His face swam in my mind when I tried to remember it, and I often found a void where it should be, a crack in the flat expanse of memories leading back to my first hazy recollection 
my mother's arms cradling the back of my neck in the bath. The sound of water moving around my ears as she cleaned my hair, so much to me like ice swirling in a full drinking glass. A girl sat alone amongst the crowds near the last station to Colby. Her eyes found me as I found her, bright and blue and wet from panic. Maybe she was eight if she was a day, and dressed in an almost ridiculously poofy pink shirt. It was old in style and fluffed up comically in front of her chest as she sat, scanning the crowd. But when she spotted me, saw me looking, she bounded in my direction. Miss, she said, stopping a few feet in front of me, hands clasped demurely at her waist. Her eyes searched mine, and she didn't continue until she saw something, I don't know what, in my face. She looked relieved. She also looked dirty. Up close, the pink of the dress was spotted with small brown stains and tattered at the hem, covered here and there in shoddy repair stitches. Body odor, faintly covered over with something with a smell like lime juice, radiated off her in waves. She smelled like she'd been sitting in the sun, sweating her clothes wet and drying out in the cool night air for days, maybe years. Can you spare a few dollars for passage? She asked. Or at least, uh, stand by me for a while? My parents got on the train without me and now I'm stuck here. An adult look of worry passed over her eyes. It's been a while. I'm sure they... I'm sure they noticed. Of course they would have noticed. But you're the only person here that's noticed me. And if you would sit with me a while, I'd enjoy the company. I don't have any money, I said. That I can spare, at least. I waved a hand over my new church clothes already looking road-worn after a few days. I'll sit with you, though. That's no problem. She smiled, not seeming to care much about my not sparing her some cash, and hopped up beside me on the bench. The smell of her wasn't so bad when she sat down wind. I'd shared cars with winos that outright smelled like they'd shit themselves a few times between stations. It's funny how none of them really play into this story much, but all of us riders always seemed to be going our own way. Aside from news and trouble, we didn't talk much, and I kept to myself. This is a nice station, the girl said after a while. It was, though there wasn't much to it. A simple boardwalk beside the rails, with a ticket office and restaurant attached. I hadn't even bothered going inside once I'd seen the price for eggs and a few sticks of bacon. Even if I stole it, it'd cost too much. It's new, you know, she continued, bobbing her legs up and down. The dress moved in time, like a little pink wave in the ocean surf. For the longest time, there was just the stairs. You see them? Over there? I followed her finger to a set of weather-beaten brick stairs a few yards down from the main platform. The girl started laughing to herself. My mother had to travel for work all the time, she said, and she was just the clumsiest woman. She was a nurse, you know, so she had to go to this town and that to help out with what she could. Moved here with Dad when he started up the bank. 
This time, she pointed to a stately brick building in the one-road town. The gleaming white face of the clock shone so brightly in the sun I could barely look at it. Father and I would come down here to see her off. Maybe two times out of ten, she would fall right off those stairs, she said, smiling in the direction of the staircase. She'd always, you know, laugh it off and brush herself down. One time, the little girl was cracking up. One time she fell and her suitcase went flying. She, oh my goodness, you should have seen her scrambling around in the dirt and screaming for my father to help find her. Well, the girl leaned in close and whispered, her undergarments. She held a hand over the laugh that followed and I joined her. She was so wonderful, she said, looking up at me and then back at the stairs. It was all an act, you know, just something to get me laughing. Father was so embarrassed. He was the big man in charge of the bank, so proper. And mother was always, well, so lively. She grew quiet. So how are your parents? I'm on my way to see my father, I said, looking at the crumbling brick staircase myself. People milled about the platform. The next train was eastbound, back to St. Louis and wherever the hell it was I'd come from, a place I was beginning to understand less and less myself. And Colby. Colby, the girl repeated. Yeah, I said. I held out my hand. Name's Alex, by the way. Patricia Reardon, she replied. People call me Patty. And you're from West Virginia, I said, not quite believing it myself. Her eyes raised. That's a ways away, she said. East, right? But what isn't out here? I was headed east before. She cleared her throat. Anyway, I'm headed that way. Yeah, I asked. Next train's yours then, huh? Now, if I can get passage, she said, but that's not important. I'll just wait till tomorrow. You're getting the 920 train to Colby then, right? I nodded and she beamed a smile at me. Her teeth were baby teeth, white and slightly crooked. Then if you don't mind, I'll just sit here with you. Is that okay? Sure, I said. So what does your father do? She asked, bouncing her feet around the bottom of the bench, clearly pleased as punch. He works for the FBI, I said. Or, at least, he did. Did? Yeah, I swallowed. I hadn't really talked about this since it happened, and hadn't brought it up with a stranger at all. He got shot. A lady bank robber killed him and Colby up the road. I sniffed. A tear broke in the corner of my lips and I caught it with my tongue. Sorrow had a familiar taste. I'm so sorry, Patty said, resting her hand on my arm. She reached up to clear my eyes and I shook my head and turned away, using my shirt sleeve instead. I saw a few passers-by give me a worried look and scanned the benches around me, 
then hurry away down the platform with a lighter step. I didn't know him, I said. Not really. I sniffed again. I was really crying then, just letting it all out before God and all the world. There was going to be a time when he was a bit older and I was a bit older, and he'd have nothing but time for me. That's what he said. He just needed to get this little bit of hard work out of the way and we'd be on Easy Street. That's how he said it. Easy Street. Then he got shot and my my mom got real sick. And then it was just me and all these sad people always looking at me with their stupid sad faces like I was a dog with a broken leg. I hated them all so bad. I hated my mom because she drove herself crazy worrying about dad. And I hated him for driving mom crazy. For going off and dying like a... A a fucking idiot. For some people who don't even give a shit. And they don't care. Nobody fucking cares. I sniffed. I'm alone. I said. The words sounded hollow. Like an echo ringing back to me from the west coast, pinging mountain to mountain, Appalachia to the Rockies, burning across the plains until they picked up life, got heavy, and hit me in the chest right there on a train platform in nowhere, Kansas, home of the yellow brick road and nearly every awful thing that would ever happen in my life, the rotten seedbed of my miseries. No, no, Patty said. No, 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 it's okay. She'd pull my head into her chest to hold it. Her arms were light on me, like bird's wings. And the smell of her wasn't so bad. More like an old pillow, a touch musty, nothing else. A nearby woman was crying as well, I saw when I looked around. Her hair was high in a brown bun, and she was looking right at me. She held up a hand and stepped forward, but her husband, the man she was traveling with, grabbed the sleeve of her blue cotton dress and whispered something in her ear. She disagreed harshly, but then resigned herself to whatever he'd said. They walked off down the platform, she sparing me a few wayward glances as they disappeared into the crowd. My father liked to do the right thing, Patty said quickly. I turned back to her. People didn't like him because he ran the bank. Bank men are easy to hate, he used to say. That's why we must always act in an exemplary manner. She chuckled and swooped her arms back and forth as she impersonated her father. I sat back up, still dabbing my eyes. My mother liked to tease him that they married because he needed a good front. She smiled at me. But the smile faded some and she turned back to the crumbling stairs. They were very good people, she said. The absolute best. She was crying now. Silent little tears that dotted the top of her tattered old dress. They, excuse me, I get so. They were standing right there. Last time I saw them, she pointed to a space in the dirt beside the stairs. My mother was due in a camp east of Topeka to help some men that got into a scuff with each other, horses or something, it doesn't matter. 
She fell right off the stairs this time and broke her left wrist. Didn't even make a sound. She was a very, very strong woman. Patty nodded her head. Yes, very strong. But father didn't want her to ride alone with a broken wrist, so he bought a ticket and hopped right on with her. I'll be back in a week, he told me. My grandparents lived in town, and they were to take care of me and my siblings. And they did, of course. They were wonderful people, too. But my father, she dabbed her face with the frilly scruff of her dress sleeve. The stains were worse there. It was a little thing, she said softly. A gas leak in the hotel. Fumes from a furnace is what I read in the paper. Invisible, quiet. They fell asleep, and then, well, she slapped her thighs and laughed. It was a painful sound. I came and waited every day, you see, every day. She hopped to her feet and did a single, graceful twirl. This was Daddy's favorite dress, and I wanted him to see me wearing it when they got back. He dressed up for Mother. When she returned from traveling, which he hated so bad. Traveling, that is. Never did it but twice. I looked around the station, feeling odd. The people were milling about, but now I could see something I hadn't earlier. Where the light from the clock face over the bank had blinded me, there stood a brass plaque engraving, fixed to the rail at the edge of the platform. The bold lettering across its face read, This platform dedicated to the memory of Patricia Reardon and her parents, Michael and Joanna. Our sweetest angels, gone too soon. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A finger touched the side of my chin, 
and I felt my face being guided until I was looking into Patty's sad, blue eyes. She smiled at me. Please, don't, she said. It's so embarrassing. Her palm came alongside my cheek, and it was as though there were no flesh inside the fabric of her little white gloves. They weren't so... They weren't cold so much as heatless, like any dead thing. I expected something ghoulish from her, but she just turned her eyes down, the faintest touch of a blush coloring her cheeks. Softly, she said, May I continue? Sure, I said. She seemed much older to me then, though I think... It should have been obvious from the start that she wasn't simply an unescorted eight-year-old. She smiled and her eyes glistened. Thank you, she said. Her fingers traced the smooth contours of the bench seat. This was down there, back then. When I was still alive, I finished for her in my mind. She saw the thought in my eyes and blushed again turning away so I couldn't see. I came to sit on this bench every day, she said. It was a hobby of mine. A few of the townspeople thought I was a little touched, I think, at least after the first month. Soon I became a fixture of the platform, the little girl in red. And I saw then that her dress wasn't pink, just terribly sun-faded. It got hot that summer. I liked to sleep on the bench sometimes, and I think people just thought I was sleeping. I was such a small thing. She looked back at me, showing every tooth with her grin. I guess I... I guess I was. Fairly easy to ignore. She cleared her throat. But, she continued, when I woke up the next morning, and my goodness, you wouldn't believe the dreams I had. When I woke up, I was sitting right next to myself. It's strange how easy it was to accept what I was seeing, what had to be done about it, but none of the adults would notice me. Me, as you see me now, or the little me I left behind on the bench. She was crying again, and I offered her my sleeve. She gave me a confused look. Wouldn't want to ruin your dress, I said. She laughed and looked down at herself, then pulled my arm over roughly and made a show of wiping her eyes on it. Thank you, she said after a while, quietly. She sighed and looked out over the rails, toward the town and the great expanse of dust and field beyond. They found me, I guess, a day too late. I wasn't mad. They built this platform after and this wonderful awning. She pointed over her head. Just in case any other little girls got stuck waiting here. My grandparents, that is. She nodded at the construction. The town got older. My grandparents died. Even my sisters and brothers got old and died. She said. I'd watch them when they got on and off the train for business. My great-grandnephew is right over there. She pointed at a bald man in a suit. 
He's waiting on the train to Topeka. He goes every third Thursday to oversee the tax deposits. Very busy. She frowned and nodded comically. Mother would die to see how much he is like father. We shared a laugh that lasted until it was taken up by the whistle of the eastbound pulling into station. Patty nearly jumped out of her seat. It shocked her so bad. The eastbound, she said softly. Look, I said, rummaging around in my pockets. I have more than enough for a single ride, just to get you out of here, at least. She gave me a wry smile and squeezed my wrist, shaking her head just slightly. No, but thank you, she said. You're not the first person I've ever talked to on this platform. One of the most polite, and by far the most engaging. I've had people buy me tickets before. I even hop aboard the trains and wave for them sometimes. Almost nobody can see me, but some do. Most of them are happy to help, even when their family thinks they're talking to air. She chuckled. Every time I pop right back here, she said. I'll walk out into the fields or back to town, and then I'm right back here, sitting on this bench again. I just can't get too far without thinking about mom and dad. There's this smell, like gas. She clenched her fists and grinned at me with tears in her eyes. It was a painful look. And sometimes a sort of noise, like the sound of the steam leaking from an engine. And I, and I, I think of that. She slapped her leg and stood up. If we could talk about something else, she said. It was then that I felt something else on the platform. A bleak, radiating hopelessness that didn't come from Patty. I looked around and saw nothing but the late afternoon shadows painting the grounds around the platform. My hand fell into my pocket, and my eyes widened. I pulled nine fingers stone from my pocket and looked at it. Patty, I said, hold out your hand. She rolled her eyes playfully. I told you, even if you pay the fare, it won't do any good, she said. I grabbed her arm anyway and pulled it toward me. She gave me a confused look. Alex. She started. Then I pressed the stone into the gloved palm of her hand. If I'd have punched her in the stomach instead, the look that came over her face wouldn't have been much different. Terrified eyes looked into mine. Cold, sweet wind blew. Freely given, I said. The words carried that same terrible echo as those that flowed from the golden teeth, but they were my own. Patty looked like she was having trouble breathing. No, she was breathing, sucking in tiny, panicked breaths. Keep this stone and it will keep you. Alex, she said, breathlessly. I pushed her fingers closed over the stone and she fell to her knees. People froze in mid-step. The 920 eastbound ground to a halt and even the steam leaking from the chimney froze. Something ripped in the air behind me, and a cloud formed not over everything, 
but between everything. A blur made of light and dust that scratched at the surface of reality itself, carving away all I could see until... I sat on a lonely bench before a set of red brick staircases, a train unlike any I'd ever seen before or since, set on rails coming and going from nowhere. Beyond the bit of dust and scrub grass around me writhed a void of alternating light and dark, sunlit water moving beneath a shade tree. A girl of no more than eight lay on the bench beside me, smelling sun-heated and sleeping through a fitful dream. Around me the sounds of voices, footsteps, but not a soul to be seen. Hey, I said, rocking her shoulder until she woke. Her eyes were worn, sleepy, but bright and inquisitive. She smiled and rubbed a fist over her left eye. I'm sorry, she said. It's just so hot out. I just meant to take a short nap. Train's here, I said. Swallowing felt uncomfortable. My eyes were hot and I had to blink and turn my head to keep her from seeing the tears. Your parents are waiting down the line, kid. You don't want to keep them, huh? Oh, of course not, she said, jumping up and smoothing her dress. It was deeply scarlet and frilled with fresh white lace. Oh, thank you so much. Maybe she didn't realize but there was a small, smooth stone in her clenched fist. A stone with a thin engraved circle, with an arrow running through it. I felt a sort of hollowness, an almost alien desire to snatch it back from her. She smiled. Can you walk me to the train? She held out her hand and the feeling vanished. Or rather, I pushed it away. You didn't have to do this. Patty said. I looked down and saw the girl from the platform, her dress more faded than ever, lips dry and cracked and split bloody in places. Her eyes were no less bright, though dehydration had sucked them down into dark pits, the lines of her eye sockets showing through the skin. You shouldn't have done this, Alex. You're in terrible danger now. I shrugged. My dad always told me not to lie. I said, next time a sorry-looking girl in a dress asks me if I got a little cash for a ticket, I'll hand it over. Consider it a penance. She hissed and almost fell backward. I turned to see a band of something black and hard wrapped around her neck. It connected to what looked like a red haunch of muscle that wound down into the ground. Do you smell that, mister? The little girl asked, pawing at her throat. I watched a chunk of color slide out of the silk dress and fall like a bloody drop onto the ground. Patty's worn eyes looked out of the girl's smooth face. It's like gas. Oh, God. I, I can't. Please, can't you hear it? We're all in danger. Hey, I said, my voice calm. I squeezed her shoulder, trying not to focus on the cable of flexing red muscle coming out of the back of her neck. It was trying to drag her back. You're fine. I know it's a little scary to ride by yourself, but you're going to get on that train, okay? 
Paddy's eyes smiled at me, unsure. Just squeeze my hand if you feel nervous at all. I lowered my hand from her shoulder and she grabbed that too, so that we were walking side by side like we were dragging a beer. There are worse things out there than you know, Alex, Patty whispered. I heard a series of wet pops and saw her face crushed with pain. Blood flecked the powdery white skin at the back of her neck as fibers snapped in the cord. There are places they can take you to. Things they can do that are so awful. I'll be fine, I said, still speaking gently, moving her along. It hurts so bad, she said. More fibers snapped in the thing on her neck. Blood dribbled onto the ground in a steady stream. It clotted like cheese curds. Alex, it hurts. We can, we can stop. I'll be fine here. You just keep going down the road, safe and sure, okay? You can come visit me sometime. I, I only just wanted people to talk with. I was fine with that. She held up the hand with the stone and opened her fingers. The thing in her neck flexed violently and wrenched her backward. She yelped and nearly dropped the stone. I caught it at the last second, pressing it back into her hand, holding it down, palm to palm, our fingers interlaced like dancing partners. It burned my skin like a branding iron. I could hear my flesh searing. Alex, let go, she said. I smiled, but my eyes were hard. You're getting on that train, I said, my voice rolling with golden thunder again, the teeth working in the ether beyond everything. I felt a needle of pain in the space behind my left eye, but it was nothing. I said that in my mind and it became true. Patty looked at me worried, but it was the little girl who smiled. If you say so, mister, she said, and then we were running toward the train, hand in hand and her giggling like crazy. The snapping noises were replaced by ripping and tearing, wet meat noises that clashed perfectly with the sound of the little girl's laughter. Then we were standing at the foot of the brick stairs, breathless and staring up into the white void beyond the doors of the train. She let go of my hands and stepped past me onto the stairs. The girl who turned around was neither Patty nor the girl I'd woken up on the bench. She was in her twenties, maybe older, and beautiful. Blood had trickled out of her eyes and mouth. It was crusting on her cheeks. She wiped it away vigorously, and no more followed in flow. I looked at our feet to where a trail of blood led back along the path we'd taken. There was something dark at the end of it, writhing in the dirt and splashing crimson in great arcs. A warm finger found my chin, turned my head slowly back to the woman's eyes. She smiled bashfully, eyes darting away and then back to mine. Please, she said. It's embarrassing. Her clothes were simple, a red button-up shirt and patterned black slacks. Blonde hair tied up in intricate braids crossed her head and lay over her shoulders. Behind her, 
A little girl in a beautiful red dress mounted the stairs and took a spot inside the door. She smiled and waved. Don't worry about that behind you, she said. Being born and dying are bloody things. The girl behind her rose up on her tiptoes, bouncing with boredom. The woman held up the stone. We've got to hold on to this until she finishes the trip, if that's okay with you. Something howled, as though from the bottom of a well. A wet, red sound that raised the hairs on the back of my neck. The woman glared over my shoulder and, whatever it was, went quiet. Will she be okay? I asked. The woman smiled. Patty's eyes looked at me. Though this woman wasn't her, she nodded. Yeah. You helped a lot, but we've got to be going. Thank you. She reached up and touched my face. And there was the girl again, face cheerful despite the tears in her eyes. She ran a thumb over the space beneath my eye where the puppet thing had cut me in Cincinnati. There was a brief, extreme pain as though she'd scraped deep into my skin, scraped away something more substantial to me than skin or blood or bone could ever be. But the pain left, and I was fine. Thank you, Alex, she said, leaning forward and kissing just to the right of my lips, a light warmness that faded the second I felt it. I touched the spot anyway. Goodbye. Thank you, Alex. She turned and walked up the stairs, which crumbled into dust behind her. She mounted the train, and I heard a whistle in the distance. Then she and the woman were atomizing the entire train becoming thin, non-existent particles that swept up in maelstrom and tore across the face of reality. For a single, painful moment, I sat in an eternal dusk, a place beyond light and darkness. Then it, too, fell to pieces, and I was sitting on the bench where I talked with Patty. I moved to stand, to look around but something hard clenched into my neck. There were no people on the platform now, and I sat alone on the bench, looking at the dark shapes of the passengers who'd gotten on the 920 eastbound. I felt a sick, feverish heat on my neck, and something spoke. Your name sits on many tongues, boy, it said. Its voice was an old rake on gravel. I tried to swallow, to struggle away, and it pushed me down into the seat with a second appendage. Something long and torn draped itself over my shoulder, and I recognized the raw red muscle, the thing I'd seen holding on to the little girl's neck. Blackish blood dripped onto my pants. It's the end times if prophets walk the world again, it said. But you end sooner. Not now, but soon. You took my mate. So long to find. All those ages of lives to feed from, but you took it from me. You lost your mark, deceiver. But I know you. I felt a tongue, long and thick, slide over the skin of my neck, my cheek. 
My face. You taste like shit. Nothing I need. Nothing I want. But I'm going to give you away. I know what wants you. He's nearby. Close and hungry. I grabbed the thing's arm with my right hand and was surprised when it screamed. I felt a familiar heat. The same heat that had burned my palm when I'd clasped hands with the girl, the stone between us. It recoiled out of my grip, screaming. I heard feet scrabbling over the boardwalk and turned. I saw only the briefest flash of it, a headache-inducing meld of three human skulls, those on the right and left sharing eye sockets with the center. Scraps of freshly scraped flesh hung in tatters over the bone and empty sockets. Its body was a similar menagerie of disjointed parts that fell painfully on the eyes. The tongue it had laid over my face was one of three, all of them coming from the nose holes in the centers of the skulls. Then it was gone in the shadows beneath the boardwalk. I looked at my hand. Smoke still wavered over the surface of my palm where I'd touched the creature, where I'd felt it burning. There, in the center of my palm, burned deep and clear into the flesh, was the circle and arrow from the stone. It stung at my finger's touch, but seemed well on the way to healing. The eastbound train whistled as it pulled out of station. Well, everybody, that was Toda Americana Part 3. What did you think? Have you ever stopped to help somebody you thought was odd or maybe didn't even trust? Has an unthinkable creature ever tethered you to a dead life in order to drink up the potential of your possible futures? Let me know in the discussion threads at the Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club on Facebook. If you haven't heard of it before, it's our private Facebook group for fans of horror and literature can get together and talk about all sorts of stuff that interests them, including the podcast. We also have a supplemental podcast as well named for the group that releases on this channel where I go into detail about my monthly recommendations and activity in the group as well. So if you make some good comments in the group, you might get a shout out during the episode. As a quick aside, last month's episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club was terribly delayed because of bad time management on my part, but the future episodes will all be right on time. And just to be clear, the episodes release on this feed, so you don't have to go anywhere else to find them. Also, if you just want to send me some love or keep up to date on the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at WS Fairy Tales. You can follow the regular West Side Fairy Tales pages on Instagram and Facebook, or you could even directly message me at westsidefairytales at gmail.com. And if you get a second, hop onto our podcast page at iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and take a second to rate and review us. It really helps us climb the rankings and, to be honest, I read literally every review. If you're feeling really supportive and want to support the West Side Fairy Tales monetarily, hop on over to patreon.com slash westsidefairytales and give us just $1 to get access to all sorts of bonus material. 
that single dollar will get you early access to the monthly show and a bonus update audio program every month. $5 and more will get your name on our supporters page on the official West Side Fairy Tales website and access to behind the story audio casts where I go into detail about what I was thinking when I made that month's story. And $10 or more gets you super early access to raw versions of the show, up to two weeks before the regular airing, and some free merch. So go on over to patreon.com slash westsidefairytales. Show your support for small, independent horror programs like mine. Next month, we bring you the finale of our four months long excursion across America. In this doozy of an episode, Alex steps aboard a train of nightmares an ethereal and unreal contraption bearing due west toward the final destination of this story and possibly Alex's life. So please, join us in the first week of June for the gripping finale of this four-part story, Toda Americana, Part 4. And, as always, stay safe out there. West Side Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. Episode artwork by Yui Breedlove. All content here and copyright 2019, Tyler Bell. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson... A young crime reporter from Charleston is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. 
Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.